Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, this is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. My name is Michael Ian Black. I am your reader, your host, your commenter. I'm going on this journey with you. See, because I've never read Jude the Obscure, this is a whole new thing for me. So here we are with Jude, and he's turning into like this Hamlet character. He can't decide what the hell to do. Should I go to Christminster? Should I not go to Christminster? Christminster looks really cool, but I'm not good enough for Christminster. But maybe I could be good enough, but oh no, I'm just poor little, sad, pathetic little Jude. I, I don't know nothing about birth and no babies, but he can't let it go. And so he he's looking at Christminster, and then he, he goes to this barn, and he looks at Christminster, and Christminster is there, twinkling, 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 going, Jude, Jude, we need you. And Jude's like, what, me? And the, and the town's going, yes. Jude, you, we really need you, but you got to learn more before you can come. And Jude's like, oh, okay. And so that's where we are. Okay, to the book. He had become entirely lost to his bodily situation during this mental leap, the leap of hearing the bell say, we are happy here instead of gong, because that's what bells really say. I mean, when you think about it, no bell has ever said, we are happy here. Not even the no bells. <laughs> I just made a pun. <laughs> And he only got back to it, meaning the uh, bodily situation, by a rough recalling. A few yards below the brow of the hill on which he paused, a team of horses made its appearance, having reached the place by dint of half an hour's serpentine progress from the bottom of the immense declivity. They had a load of coals behind them, a fuel that could only be got into the upland by this particular route. They were accompanied by a carter, a second band, and a boy who now kicked a large stone behind one of the wheels and allowed the panting animals to have a long rest while those in charge took a flagon off the load 
and indulged in a drink round. They were elderly men and had genial voices. Jude addressed them, inquiring if they had come from Christminster. Heaven forbid with this load, said they. The place I mean is that one yonder. He was getting so romantically attached to Christminster that, like a young lover alluding to his mistress, he felt bashful at mentioning its name again. He pointed to the light in the sky, hardly perceptible to their older eyes. Yes, there do seem a spot a bit brighter in the nor'east than elsewhere, though I shouldn't have noticed it myself, and no doubt it may be Christminster. Here a little book of tales which Jude had tucked up under his arm, having brought them to read on his way hither before it grew dark, slipped and fell into the road. The carter eyed him while he picked it up and straightened the leaves. First of all, I admit that I'm a little surprised Jude can read because in the very first part of the book, it says that he really only attended school now and again, and he's only, what, nine, ten years old. Turns out, no, he's got a, he's got a whole little book of tales tucked under his arm, and it falls, and, and he picks it up, and he straightens the leaves of the book, and, and uh, the old guy goes, ah, young man, he observed, you'd have to get your head screwed on t'other way before you could read what they re- read there. Why? asked the boy, meaning in Christminster. Oh, they never look at anything that folks like we can understand, the carter continued by way of passing the time. Only foreign tongues used in the days of the Tower of Babel, when no two families spoke alike. They read that sort of thing as fast as a night hawk will were. Tis all learning there, nothing but learning, except religion, and that's learning too, for I never could understand it. Yes, tis a serious-minded place. Not but there's wenches in the street on nights. You know, I suppose, that they raise parsons there like radishes in a bed. And though it do take, how many years, Bob? Five years to turn a lurruping hobbledehoy chap. I mean, is there a better phrase ever written than lurruping hobbledehoy chap? Though it take five years to turn a lurruping hobbledehoy chap into a solemn preaching man with no corrupt passions, they'll do it if it can be done, and polishin' off like the workmen they be, and turnin' out with a long face, and a long black coat, and waistcoat, and a religious collar and hat, same as they used to wear in the scriptures, so that his own mother wouldn't know in sometimes. There, tis their business like anybody else's. But how should you now? now? Don't you interrupt, my boy. Never interrupt your seniors. Move the far hoss aside, Bobby. Here's summat coming. You must mind that I be talking of the college life. Em lives on a lofty level. There's no gainsay in it, though I myself may not think much of em. As we be here in our bodies on this high ground, so be they in their minds, noble-minded men enough, no doubt, some on em, able to earn hundreds by thinking out loud, and some on em be strong young fellows that can earn a much, almost as much in silver cups. As for music, there's beautiful music everywhere in Christminster. You may be religious or you may not, but you can't help striking in your homely note with the rest. And there's a street in the place, the main street, that hunt another like it in the world. I should think I did know a little bit about Christminster. So, <laughs> I'm reading him like the uh, the cop in the Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know. Uh, did there be a gangster in here, rabbit? And then he says, no. Anyway, 
Uh, so he's saying, essentially, in Christminster, all they do, they, they just stand around, they think all day, and somehow they make money thinking, and uh, they'll turn anybody, even a Lyropy Ho-Chap boy, into a, into, a, into a preacher in five years, turn them out just as nice as it can be. It's, it's a business, it is, in Christminster. So that takes us to the end of chapter three. Jude is just fixated on his teacher who skipped town. He couldn't even figure out how to get the piano. That's how anxious he was to get the hell out of Dodge. So now, chapter four. Walking somewhat slowly by reason of his concentration, the boy, an ancient man in some phases of thought much younger than his years in others, was overtaken by a light-footed pedestrian whom, notwithstanding the gloom, he could perceive to be wearing an extraordinarily tall hat, a swallow-tailed coat, and a watch-chain that danced madly and threw around scintillations of skylight as its owner swung along upon a pair of thin legs and noiseless boots. Jude, beginning to feel lonely, endeavored to keep up with him. Well, my man, I'm in a hurry, so you'll have to walk pretty fast if you keep alongside of me. Do you know who I am? Yes, I think. Physician Vilbert? Ah, I'm known everywhere, I see. That comes of being a public benefactor. Vilbert was an itinerant quack doctor, well known to the rustic population and absolutely unknown to anybody else, as he indeed took care to be, to avoid inconvenient investigations. Cottagers formed his only patients, and his Wessex-wide repute was among them alone. His position was humbler and his field more obscure than those of the quacks with capital and an organized system of advertising. He was, in fact, a survival. The distances he traversed on foot were enormous and extended nearly the whole length and breadth of Wessex. Jude had one day seen him selling a pot of colored lard to an old woman as a certain cure for a bad leg, the woman arranging to pay a guinea in installments of a shilling a fortnight for the precious salve, which, according to the physician, could only be obtained from a particular animal which grazed on Mount Sinai and was to be captured only at great risk to life and limb. Jude though he already had his doubts about this gentleman's medicines, felt him to be unquestionably a traveled personage and one who might be a trustworthy source of information on matters not strictly professional. I suppose you've been to Christminster, physician. I have many times, replied the long, thin man. That's one of my centers. It's a wonderful city for scholarship and religion. You'd say so, my boy, if you'd seen it. Why, the very sons of the old women who do the washing of the colleges can talk in Latin. Not good Latin, that I admit, as a critic. Dog Latin, cat Latin, as we used to call it in my undergraduate days. And Greek? Well, that's more for the men who are in training for bishops, that they may be able to read the New Testament in the original. I want to learn Latin and Greek myself. A lofty desire, you must get a grammar of each tongue. I mean to go to Christminster some day. Whenever you do, you say that Physician Vilbert is the only proprietor of those celebrated pills that infallibly cure all disorders of the alimentary system as well as asthma and shortness of breath, two and three pence a box, specially licensed by the government stamp. Can you get me the grammars if I promise to say it hereabout? I'll sell you mine with pleasure, those I used as a student. 
Oh, thank you, sir, said Jude gratefully, but in gasps, for the amazing speed of the physician's walk kept him in a dog trot, which was giving him a stitch in his side. I think you'd better drop behind, my young man. Now, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll get you the grammars and give you a first lesson, if you'll remember, at every house in the village to recommend Physician Vilbert's golden ointment, life drops, and female pills. Oh, I wonder what a female pill is. But I have to say, so far, Physician Vilbert, my favorite character in Jude the Obscure. I mean, I like a good quack. Don't we all like a good quack? I'm going to take... Uh, a little break and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to see if I can't figure out what a female pill is this is obscure okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Obscure. I'm Michael Ian Black. And as we have been reading Chapter 4, we've come to the point where the period references are really stumping me. Uh, And when I say period references, I think I'm making a pun. It's an uncomfortable pun for me because I generally, uh, because I'm uncomfortable with mensis, uh, although not uncomfortable with mensa, which is the genius group to which I do not belong. But when I think about period references, who do I think of? My good buddy, Nell Scovel. She's a TV comedy writer. She's an author. And I just had a lovely time talking to her on my other podcast, How to Be Amazing. I got her on the phone. Now, I'm reading this part of the book where poor little pathetic Jude is going along the road and he's trying to find some information and he comes across this quack doctor who is, did you ever see the music man? 
Sure. So he's basically uh, Professor, Hen- Hill? Professor Hill from The Music Man. Okay. And he's basically saying, well, my, well, my boy, uh, you know, do this, this, this and the other thing. And I'll give you uh, I'll give you these books that I have about Greek and Latin. And then you can learn Greek and Latin to your heart's content. And Jude says, oh, great. And then the doctor says, uh, and be sure to tell everybody about all of my great medicines, including my female pills. And I <laughs> I didn't know what he could possibly mean by a female pill. And I thought maybe you, Nell Scovel, uh, writer of all things. And, and, and female. And female may have some insight or at least some funny ideas about what a female pill could, could, could be. Well, well, back then, you know, Mike, there, there wasn't a lot of, medical attention so i'm assuming it was some sort of opiate <laughs> <laughs> but but wouldn't men but w- wouldn't men want opiates too or no well maybe it's the way you take the pill that makes it female oh dear well you're saying you know. you're saying the pill would be vaginally inserted yes and create some sort of opiating effect <laughs> yes well Dull the pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. Oh, you mean like for menstrual reasons? For menstrual reasons or childbirth reasons? Oh, or, I didn't understand or, that at all. And that's why I need to speak with a woman, <laughs> I guess. Or, or just like any quack, you, you might target your, um, the mark, right, and make it seem you you could market this exact same pill as you know uh, uh, for headaches, right? Oh, oh, okay. Now well, maybe this is right. I thought maybe it meant uh, like a, like a like a morning after pill. Oh well, but w- would that make sense in the context? I don't know. There- <laughs> keep in mind. Keep in mind. I am a legitimate idiot. Now, is Jude attractive? Is, is oh, it, the doctor? It, he's young. He's he's just a he's just a boy. So he, he doesn't have any sexual experience at this point. Oh no no no. Oh okay. Interesting. Well, then it's maybe it's just, uh, yeah, you're naive. So. I'll convince, and you know nothing about the female body, so you're the perfect person to sell pills to them. Right. Maybe. Maybe he, yeah. I think what he's, I think the idea is that Jude is meant to go around to all the, all the neighbors and say, don't, don't forget when this, when this quack comes by, he's got any, any, anything that you need. If you need uh, balms and salves and ointments and female pills, he's got it all. It's also kind of brilliant for marketing purposes because it, it could be anything to anyone. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it could it's be. it's so vague. Maybe, maybe it was the early version of Goop. What's Goop? You know, Gwyn- Gwyneth Paltrow's website where she <laughs> talks about like steaming your vagina and all these terrible, quacky right. well, that, medical procedures. That I do. I mean, I, I steam whatever I can steam. <laughs> Mel Scoville, thank you so much. As always, you've been a delight. Bye. As I said, uh, Dr. Vilbert reminds me a bit of Harold Hill. And And guys, 
I would be remiss if I didn't mention that in my theaterography, I was actually in a production of The Music Man uh, in high school. And I played Tommy Winthrop, who has a lisp. And he sings, uh, he sings, the Wells Fargo wagon is a coming down the street. Oh, please let it be for me. And if you recall, the music man is about a con artist who blows into town, promising to teach all the kids how to play music. And he takes their money and, and he says he's going to buy them instruments. And then, and then he doesn't. He's just a con man, you know, and he, and he, and he woos Marion, the librarian, and they sing songs and stuff. You know how they sing in musicals, they sing songs and stuff. Well, this is what they do in The Music Man. And there was a guy in The Music Man who uh, was the star, the con man. And I, I, I'm not going to say his name. What was his last name? His first name was Kurt. I, I was not going to say his last name, and I was going to be sort of mysterious and say, well, I'm not going to say his last name. And then I remembered, I don't remember his last name. But anyway, he was the star in my high school, and he was the first person that I knew who was planning or seemed to have a future in the theater. And I remember uh, just being in awe of this guy. He was probably three or four years ahead of me in school. And he always got the leads and, and he, uh, he had a nice voice and, and he was charismatic. And I think he was dating the girl who played Marion the librarian. And she was like a, a pretty soprano. And we went to one of their houses for the cast party afterwards, after the last party. And and uh, it, it all felt very cosmopolitan to me. I mean, Creedence Clearwater Revival was playing on a cassette tape. And, and there's nothing more cosmopolitan than Creedence Clearwater Revival. And everybody was singing Proud Mary together. And I'd never been to a party like that, a party made up of actors uh, singing songs together. And subsequently, what I've realized is if you go to any party with actors, they're going to end up singing songs together. And consequently, don't go to parties with actors. But at the time, when I was 14 years old or whatever it was, I was just utterly enchanted and entranced with this bohemian lifestyle. I mean, people were wearing fedoras. People were wearing scarves. I remember just being in awe of Kurt and thinking, Gosh, if anybody's going to going to be a star in in the theatrical world, it's going to be this guy. I mean, he is the total package. Well, Kurt left town to head off for the Great White Way and was never heard from again. I don't mean literally his his family probably knows where he is, but he did not make it in show business. And this to me was very sobering as a young person coming up in the world because I thought, well, I mean, if Kurt can't make it, what chance do any of us have? I mean, poor Jude, born into obscurity as I was, as you are, uh, circumstances befall him. He loses his parents. He ends up in this other town a few months before where he's got this aunt that doesn't like him and he's got to figure it out and he doesn't know. Now, I suspect not very much good is going to happen to Jude the Obscure, and he will end up, like most of us do, obscure, which, as I said in the very first episode, is not necessarily a terrible thing. Obscurity, in its way, is desirable, but I suppose when fame isn't on the line or fortune isn't on the line, but perhaps survival itself is on the line, as it may have been for Jude in those days in England where there was no 
safety net, no social security, as it were, then maybe, you know, obscurity can be a real detriment for us, for you and me listening, we're probably going to be fine. You know what I mean? We're not going to end up uh, in rags by the side of the road, unless you are listening to this while wearing rags on the side of the road, in which case the chances are very high that that's exactly how you will end up. All right, let us let us pause now for some light refreshments here on Obscure. Welcome back to Obscure. I'm your host and reader, and I'm going to say uh, uh, scholar. I'm going to call myself a literary scholar, Michael Ian Black. And so back to the book, Jude says to the physician Vilbert, where will you be with the grammars? And the guy says, I shall be passing here this day fortnight at precisely this hour of five and 25 minutes past seven. My movements are as truly timed as those of the planets in their courses. Here I'll be to meet you, said Jude. With orders for my medicines? Yes, physician. So he's basically saying, look, you want something from you? Scratch my back. I'll scratch yours. You bring me a few orders for my medicines, including my female pills. And what I'll do, see, what I'll do is I'll get you some grammars. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means to get you grammars. I get some sort of admittance into a school, I guess, or, or maybe like books, I guess, grammar books. Now, Jude then dropped behind, waited a few minutes to recover breath, and went home with a consciousness of having struck a blow for Christminster. Through the intervening fortnight, he ran about and smiled outwardly at his inward thoughts, as if they were people meeting and nodding to him, smiled with that singularly beautiful irradiation which is seen to spread on young faces at the interception of some glorious idea, as if a supernatural lamp were held inside their transparent natures, giving rise to the flattering fancy that heaven lies about them then. So this is what we were talking about in the last episode, all this religious allegorical stuff. He is lit up as if if by heaven, and he's saying... He's got all these hopes. He's got this prayer that he is carrying around with him, uh, and it's making him it's making him so happy. He's just glowing with the thought of going to Christ Minster. He's just glowing with the thought of improving his lot in this deal that he has made with this quack doctor. Um, I'm back to the book now. He honestly performed his promise to the man of many cures, in whom he now sincerely believed walking miles hither and thither among the surrounding hamlets as the physician's agent in advance. On the evening appointed, he stood motionless on the plateau at the place where he had parted from Vilbert and there awaited his approach. The road physician was fairly up to time, but to the surprise of Jude on striking into his pace, which the pedestrian did not diminish by a single unit of force, the latter seemed hardly to recognize his young companion, though with the lapse of the fortnight the evenings had grown light. Jude thought it might be perhaps owing to his wearing another hat, and he saluted the physician with dignity. "'Well, my boy,' said the latter abstractedly, "'I've come,' said Jude. 
You? Who are you? Oh, yes, to be sure. Got any orders, lad? Yes, and Jude told him the names and addresses of the cottagers who were willing to test the virtues of the world-renowned pills and salve. The quack mentally registered these with great care. And the Latin and Greek grammars? Jude's voice trembled with anxiety. What about them? You were to bring me yours that you used before you took your degree. Ah, yes, yes. Forgot all about it. All so many lives depending on my attention. You see, my man, that I can't give so much thought as I would like to other things. So we see where this is going. Jude controlled himself sufficiently long to make sure of the truth. And he repeated in a voice of dry misery. You haven't brought them. No, but you must get me some more orders from sick people and I'll bring the grammars next time. Jude dropped behind. He was an unsophisticated boy, but the gift of sudden insight, which is sometimes vouchsafed to children, showed him all at once what shoddy humanity the quack was made of. There was to be no intellectual light from this source. The leaves dropped from his imaginary crown of laurel. He turned to a gate, leant against it, and cried bitterly. Well, last time we were talking about how hope and dread have to come together. There has to be dread with hope. Without hope, there can be no dread. Without dread, there can be no hope. Both are looking into the future. And Jude had scurried about this past fortnight, going uh, hither and thither, it says, to find orders for this quack doctor's salves and balms and female pills. And certain people had been like, well, sure, tell him to come on by and I'll, I'll give him a try. And Jude had had tabulated these orders and had memorized them so that he could keep up his end of the bargain with the quack doctor. And so he goes there filled with hope. And he says, I, I found all these leads. It's like in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. He has the good leads. He's got the good leads. And if only the physician will keep his end of the bargain, the physician will sell the lots in Glengarry, Glen Ross, and, and he'll sell the real estate to the people. And young Jude will get his grammars and everybody will hold up their end of the deal. But, but like in Glengarry, Glen Ross, Vilbert is a con man. Vilbert has no intention of seeing his own end of the deal through. He's just um, the mad rabbit scurrying back and forth across the county Wessex looking for people to swindle. And who did he swindle? But this poor young lad. And he's extracted the information from him. He's gotten the good leads, but he's given him nothing in return. Turn. And upon such foundations, David Mamet plays are built. Back to the book. You know, so now he's crying. He's leaning against the gate and he's crying. And uh, it says, the disappointment was followed by an interval of blankness. He might perhaps have obtained grammars from Alfredston, but to do that, I guess that's a, bo- a store or something. Alfredston. But to do that required money and a knowledge of, oh yeah, and a knowledge of what books to order. And though physically comfortable, he was in such absolute dependence as to be without a farthing of his own. Yeah, he's got, he doesn't have any money, you know, to be going to Amazon and saying, hey, uh, Amazon, can you please send me the best grammars in Latin and Greek? I mean, he does it. He's, he's destitute. I mean, you don't even have a, he doesn't even have a credit card, for God's sake. 
when he opens up his laptop there in uh, in Mary Green, and he opens up his laptop, and Alexa says, "Hey, uh, Jude, what kind of grammars do you want?" And he can say, "Alexa, just give me the best grammars, but I don't have any money." And Alexa's like, "Fuck off!" And he's like, "I know. That's why I was going hither and thither." At this date, Mister Phillotson sent for his piano forte. Aha! The pianoforte, which had been left in a shed at the beginning of the book, now comes back into play. That mysterious pianoforte, the one that was just too big to lug around. And, and, and honestly, Phillotson himself said, I don't even play the pianoforte. I got this piano. It's been taking up space. It's basically my treadmill that I don't use. I've been hanging laundry on it, but he still knows it's there. It's been hanging out in the dairy barn. And so now he's finally sent for it. And it gave Jude a lead. Why should he not write to the schoolmaster and ask him to be so kind as to get him the grammars in Christminster? He might slip a letter inside the case of the instrument, and it would be sure to reach the desired eyes. Why not ask him to send any old second-hand copies which would have the charm of being mellowed by the university atmosphere? To tell his aunt of his intention would be to defeat it. It was necessary to act alone. After a further consideration of a few days, he did act, and on the day of the piano's departure, which happened to be his next birthday, clandestinely placed the letter inside the packing case directed to his much-admired friend, being afraid to reveal the operation to his Aunt Drusilla lest she should discover his motive and compel him to abandon his scheme. The piano was dispatched, and Jude waited days and weeks, calling every morning at the cottage post office before his great aunt was stirring. At last, a packet did indeed arrive at the village, and he saw from the ends of it that it contained two thin books. He took it away into a lonely place and sat down on a felled elm to open it. Well... What do you think, guys? What do you think? Well, what do you think is in those books? Will his hopes be realized and he will learn the Latin and Greek, which will gain him admittance into the Tower of Academia? Is he going to get to Christminster? Will all his hopes and dreams be realized? Will I learn to take a female pill the right way? Friends, friends, to learn all of that and to discover whether Tommy Winthrop ever learned to play those instruments. You're going to have to listen to the next thrilling episode of Obscure. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. For more information on Obscure, visit our show page at Earwolf.com and be sure to subscribe to Obscure in your favorite podcast app like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you've heard, please write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And if you don't like what you've heard, take it up with Thomas 
Hardy. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor. If you would like information about sponsoring our show, email hello at midroll.com. I'm Michael Ian Black. This is Tony Rodriguez. This is Carlos Santos. This is Riza Licea. And this is Oscar Montoya. When our powers combine, we are Spanish Aquí Presents. We have a brand new podcast here on Earwolf, bringing you the best of the best of lo mejor of the Latinx comedy. Join us every Tuesday as we chat about what's going on in our lives, Latinx culture, and ¿qué es lo que? Lo que nos está picando. Lo que te pica. Don't worry, we'll tell you what that means if you listen. We'll also be joined by a new guest every single week. We'll get to know a little bit more about their lives. Every single week. Uh-huh. And then we'll make them sit back and watch us improvise their lives right back to them. Improvisation. <laughs> Spanish Aki Presents premieres July 16th. Subscribe now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Hola, Nesea. Spanish Aki Presents.